Danny Reardon was one of women's physique's early shining stars, finishing second in the Olympia competition in 2016. And a little over a year later, she was out of the sport entirely and has not looked back since. I spent a little over an hour catching up with her in a wide-ranging conversation, which you're about to see now. Uh, her story is fascinating. Um, we talk a little bit about her competitive history, what that was like, how she looks back on it now, if she has any regrets, what she's doing now, and the kind of turns that her life has taken since then. It's very interesting, fascinating individual, and I'm very thankful for her uh, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me and share her story with us. So without further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Danny Reardon. And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is The Drop Set. With your host, Darren Starr. Danny Reardon, welcome to The Drop Set. How are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I feel like there is a lot of ground to cover here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, my, uh, my podcast is really kind of focused on bodybuilders. And uh, you have a little bit of history in there. And I feel like if anybody is looking at uh, this on Spotify or they pull it up on YouTube, they're going to see your name. They're going to be like, Danny Reardon, I remember her. Like if they're just following bodybuilding and not you specifically, and they might be like, what happened to her? So what did happen to her? <laughs> um, oh, oh, my goodness. I don't even know where to start with that. So what happened to her? I mean, as far as bodybuilding goes. Yeah. You know, I kind of, the more that I think about it and the more that I've like explained the story it kind of goes back to like a mushroom trip and so that's kind of a big path for me now is the psychedelic mushrooms but it was like my first real big experience with them and after that I quit Redcon like maybe a week or two later and then slowly after that the bodybuilding world for me started to unravel and the fire for it went away and I didn't want to compete anymore. I wanted to explore a new side of myself. And I think after the Olympia, um, which is, uh, what was it? September, 2017, things started to unravel for me anyway. And then I think that mushroom experience just sort of sealed the deal. And it was really hard for me to be out of alignment with what my heart wanted at that point. And um, so during the experience, I had this vision of me and Ian, my husband, in front of Mount Fiji or something. I don't know where we were, but it was like a big mountain with a white cap on it. And that's why I kind of thought it was Fiji. And uh, we were taking a selfie there. And my next thought was, I have to get up in the morning and do cardio. <laughs> and, you know, because like, I was still in that whole thing. And I just part of me was like, man, what are you doing, man? You spend so much of your life on that stair stepper, in that gym, in the kitchen. And I was 27 at the time. And I think I was just ready for something else. And that's kind of what happened. That was the beginning of the happening. Interesting. So I did not expect a mushroom related answer there. <laughs> Those are my medicine. I get, and then from there, the mushroom for me sort of... Um, really became a close ally and something I still use to this day. And actually, yeah. And so, yeah, that was the beginning, the beginning of the end and also the beginning of the beginning. 
to something else for me. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a a song by the Smashing Pumpkins called something like uh, "The End Is the Beginning Is the End." Um, so everything that starts and ends is the start of something new. So, yeah. Um, yeah, very cool. Very cool. Do you feel like part of that was just, you know, you said you were 27 when you retired. Um, was part of it just that you feel like you had kind of gotten to that level by then? And part of it is like, there's only so much more mountain, you know, proverbial mountain left to climb. Maybe a literal mountain is what you need next. Yeah, that, I think that was that was part of it, too. I was like, OK, so I'm here and made it, you know, as far as as I, I could. And as far as my boundaries would let me, you know, there was a certain level of uh, super supps that I was taking. There was a certain amount of time a day I was wearing a waist trainer. There was a certain, and I was like kind of at my peak with that. And I didn't want to go any further or deeper into that world. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think I looked around and I was like, okay, we're ready for a new mountain. I, I love the climb. There is something about a climb for me that is so exciting. Um, and so fiery and what's cool about spirituality, which was sort of the next phase of what I really got into and started to research and just practice is that it's an infinite mountain and it goes in inwards and upwards and it's infinite. And so, and there's no competition anymore. So there's nothing to win. There's nowhere to get. There's really just here now and how deep you can go into that. And so, yeah, that was, that's been my next mountain is the spirit world. I think if you have enough pressure, enough stress, enough grind, and again, if you get to the top of the, the figurative mountain at 27, I mean, what, what was your, in that 2017 Olympia, how'd you place? Sixth. Sixth. So sixth in the world at 27 is kind of like, okay, you know, as you said, you know, there, there's probably more that you could do, but everybody has those lines. You're like, yeah, I'm not going to go there. That's fine. This is probably about it. And so, um, I mean, that kind of, makes sense honestly and so you can kind of divorce yourself from the pressure the stress and the grind and honestly just saying those words out loud i'm like man that sounds really appealing right now um not just in terms of bodybuilding but just like all of the day-to-day -day stuff like anything i think you can do to give yourself at least a brief respite from that like permission to walk away from that has got to be pretty pretty uh fulfilling yeah and freeing the word i kept wanting was peace and freedom and when i would think about what i was doing day to day how much water did i drink how much food did i eat am i lean enough am i big enough what did my coach say what is social media saying what did my spawn that is not peace and freedom it's discipline for sure and it's dedication which is also beautiful but um it wasn't very freeing but i will tell you when you let go of something like that there's also this other journey you go on that is like, well, who am I? If I'm not little monster anymore, if I'm not at the Olympia anymore, who am I? And I didn't expect that until I quit everything and was like, oh man, I'm not okay. I don't know who I am anymore <laughs> without the gym. Yeah. I mean, at that level, that, that really kind of, for better or worse, is your identity. Yeah. People didn't even know me by Danny. They knew me by Little Monster. <laughs> like, I don't even know your name. And I'm like, cool, I guess. Like, it's, at least you know who I am. Um, yeah, it's like almost like you're a professional wrestler at that point. It just with your persona and that's it. 
my alter ego. Yeah. And then it was like, even with social media, it sounds so silly, but it's like, well, what do I post? If I'm not a little monster anymore, then what do I share? What do people care about? And I lost like 50,000 followers. So like, oh my God. So like having to be okay with that whole downslide of, you know, you built up this whole thing. It feels so good. Your dopamine is getting hit every day. You get likes. And then all of a sudden it's like by the thousands, 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 it's down. Um, and so that's been an interesting journey in itself. Yeah. Wow. So especially because there is, I mean, whatever you're following peaked at it's effort to get up there. And like, that's a lot of, a lot of time and energy to spend on that to basically, I would say more or less intentionally just piss it away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And watch it go away because people don't see me super muscular anymore, posing, not with not a lot of clothes on, you know, sports bra and shorts. And then it started to become me praying or me out in nature. And people are like, no, we don't care about that. Yeah. Like, who is this? Follow, unfollow on, you know, it's, so it's something that was so special and so sacred and felt so important to me, which was like the spirit world. People were like, unfollow like they would comment sometimes unfollow which doesn't the cyberbullying is i've got it my whole life so i don't mind it but um even that's been a journey i i imagine yeah i've i've kind of started that journey myself i don't have any kind of following but i'm starting to get enough traction on a couple platforms now to attract the occasional troll um <laughs> commenting on posing videos and stuff i'm just like part of it is like my parents follow this page could you please stop with those comments like oh. i'm a 46 year old man like just stop acting like an eight-year-old child but you can't control other people you can only control how you respond to it yeah and with that i think if there's anybody out there too getting cyber bullied like what world must they be living in so like tapping into a feeling of compassion like for somebody to be post commenting that they must be in a really crappy headspace their world must be so dark and so sad for them to want to get online and do that because happy positive people don't do that no no, no. i mean that's, that's that's it's a comment that i make to a lot of my clients and if they're in a competitive space or if they're just trying to do a body transformation or something I'm like it really helps to be a happy positive person before you start doing this like it it's hard to effectuate some kind of a positive change in your body if you're not in a reasonable space up here not that it has to be all sunshine and rainbows but your brain has to lead the charge on this stuff oh i totally i totally agree with that and that's what i attribute a lot of my success to is my mental uh development like the positivity that i had about it and the lo really love is the word the special ingredient um and like the connection I had to spirit, to the numbers, like the the little joys I found along the grind and the hustle of competing and of dieting. Like I'd be cooking my food and I'd look up and it was 111 and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm on the right path. So it was like, I had these little cheerleaders all day telling me, um, yeah, this thing. So I think the mental space is everything, especially when I look at my stats on the Olympia stage, I was five foot 115 basically doing women's bodybuilding like how did i do so well um <laughs> but i think it was the energy you know i think that's a, a something that should really be taken into account well and I, th I think really like going back and and you know walking down memory lane for a second here like your your stage presence was really kind of captivating as well like that was a huge strength of yours like you kind of get up there and it just you know eyes just kind of go towards you and that really helps. So not to put you on the spot or make you feel awkward or anything, but that's, a, it's a huge part of it. Like your overall presentation, just how, like how people feel when they're looking at you too. And that just kind of comes from, from here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that so much. 
when I, and when I go back and watch my old videos, I'm captivated. Like I, I'm like, look at how in love you are with what you're doing. It makes me emotional because, you know, losing that part of bodybuilding was the hardest watching myself on stage. And I am just beaming, just unbridled joy. And I just love being up there. I love the work I've done and I love the crowd. I love the energy. And so when I see myself really in the flow like that, um, I miss that. And that's hard to watch because I'm not doing that anymore. And I don't know that I found that next thing yet. I'm getting into sound now and getting into teaching yoga. And, and I think I'm getting close. And I, I think about bodybuilding. That was like a 10, 12 year journey for me, like to get to that point. And I'm probably only a couple years into what I'm doing now. So I look at, okay, that was you after years of like mastery. Um, and so, so yeah, so sometimes I think bodybuilding was my boot camp for what I am going to get to do now. That, that's a good way of putting it. And you, you kind of answered the million dollar question there, which was going to be, do you miss it? And it sounds like on some level, yeah. Um, it would it be fair to say like you, you miss the performance, but not necessarily all of the work. No, no. I, well, I, yes and no, I miss, I miss the work too. You know, I was a mental case on that stair stepper and on that spin bike. I worked so hard and there was something so rewarding about knowing that I could not have gone any harder. And I see people do cardio now and they're hanging onto the stepper and their bodies are like limp and they're barely getting through. And I just remember holding on and like running up the stairs, like running for that center stage spot. And there was something about the work and the dedication and the purpose and knowing what you were going to do every day and knowing what you were working for every day and having that center stage to shoot for. So the work, the purpose, the drive I miss, because um, I don't have, it's like, what is my center stage now? And being, I'm so hyper-focused that it's like, well, what am I, what am I doing? Spirit is everywhere. You know, it's like, and now the sound thing is kind of cool. I have something I can shoot for. I have people I can look up to, which is great. Um, but I miss, I miss the people. That is the biggest mm. thing I miss. I miss meet the Olympians when people would come up inside my hoodies and I would be at the Arnold and see a line of people waiting to meet me. And I'm like, for me, and it was just, <laughs> it's gotta be a little me, surreal, surreal. Um, and so that I miss, I, and what I don't miss is the, you know, I had the supplements, you know, there's a certain level of things you have to take in order to be at the top, I think, especially yeah. in the IFBB, like I'm not going to cut it any and, and act like it's not part of it, but it is. And so there's always this constant, like, oh my God, am I changing? Am I this? Am I that? There's the pressure of the industry. There's, you know, the pressure of social media. There's the constant grind and constant comparing yourself to yourself even. Am I big enough? Am I lean enough? And it's all so superficial. It's all so focused on the body, the material, the comparison part and the building part. And like when I was on stage, nobody cared. I had a master's in exercise physiology. Nobody cared that I meditated every day. They're like, how shredded is your ass yes. is what I want to know. How, how freaky do you look? How freaky do you look? Yes. Period. Only thing that matters. That's it. And the extremes for me, I was, you know, and I was, I think about how young I was with, I was 25 at my first Olympia, 26 when I got second in the world. And so I think about how young I was and the, the swings, okay, you're super dialed in, you're peaking, you're doing perfect. And then the swing back to the other way, Oreos, oatmeal, cream pies, alcohol, doing all of these things. Stop. You're making me hungry. 
and the swing I know <laughs> so the swings for me were really hard because I didn't know how to manage the off season it was just like I was off leash um and I think now I would probably maybe handle that a little bit differently but um and I also don't think I knew what I had as far as the following and people listening to me mm -hmm. I think I knew a little bit but I think I was afraid of it and so I sort of maybe in a couple ways sabotaged it um interesting yeah. Yeah. um do you still keep up with uh the competitive landscape at all not not really I think Natalia is Miss Olympia right now for Miss Olympia or for the women's physique and then there's Sarah in there somewhere var something mm -hmm. um so barely I mean I on social media I'll scroll past people and I'm like wow <laughs> today <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of funny comparing like when you were up there in you know 2017, 2016, where it is now. It's like that's a pretty short period of time for there to be pretty such a sharp evolution. Like it's it's kind of crazy. It is crazy, and I don't know how I feel about it. I go back and forth between the sport is what the sport is, and the beautiful bodies with lots of work nonetheless. But it looks different than it used to look. Um, yeah. And I'm happy I was in when I was in and got out when I got out. Cause you know, when you want to win, you want to win. There's almost like, no, it's hard to shut off that. I'll do anything mm -hmm. mindset. Well, and yeah. you know, I think a, a lot of people probably have a journey that's kind of similar to yours. And, you know, I work with, with clients who do a show or two and then they're like, okay, that's cool. I'm going to move on to the next thing now. Don't know what that is. That's fine. It's different when you're a random novice NPC competitor versus second in the world. Um, like there's a higher level of visibility that comes from that. And did you feel like there were expectations from other people that weighed on you and kind of made that decision harder than it should have been? Yeah, I think so. And I think I put a lot of pressure on myself too, but even like the sponsors and then the people, like even now I still get messages from people online and my, you know, I mention online a lot because that's my tribe. That's my community who I get to speak to. And so I never wanted anybody to like touch my social media. I never, I always wanted to be the manager of that because I would get beautiful messages from people, but I would also get messages from people saying, what did you do? I can't believe you quit. Like you gave up right before, like really like stuff that you really think about and you're like, shit, did I, did I just throw in the towel right before I was about to really get the thing? And even now, still today, I'll post a bodybuilding picture and people are like, is it a comeback or they're like ready for the, <laughs> and I, I, I understand it, but at the same time, it's, they're still like, get back on stage. Everybody loves a comeback story. I know. Even I think about it. I'm like, damn, that would be pretty cool. And to do it all plant-based to show people <laughs> like, Hey, you don't need to eat a bunch of meat. So that would be sometimes I think about that too is like do it for the vegans because I know my work ethic I know my genetics mm -hmm. and where you get your protein source may not matter and it'd be cool to sort of prove that but then I'm trying to prove something and what is that energy about you know right right so now you're you're putting yourself back you're, you're like reversing the headspace a little bit and would that do you think that that would feel like a regression to do that or do you feel like you could still consider yourself in a forward moving space and do that. Not to say you're seriously considering it, but do you feel like that would necessarily have to be a step backwards? I think the fire would be coming from the wrong place and I know, I would know that. And so I wouldn't be competing with, I love the sport. 
and I love to win and I love what it takes versus it would be like, I'm going to show you that this can be done. Like for me, that sounds a little sassy, a little dark side. Yeah. Um, so f- I would be thinking about where is this, but I could, I could twist it and say, because I love animals and I love the sport and I want to show people what's possible and maybe they'll stop eating so much meat. So I could, I could probably twist it, but it would take a lot of like, you know, internal, like, where is it really coming from? Mm-hmm. Cause I believe in the energy that you prep your food with and the energy that you do cardio and train with, like it matters a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's not so much, you know, with, with, when I check in with clients, I always have them send me like this little spreadsheet template that kind of shows like in a quantitative sense, like what you did for the week, what day things fell on, just so I can see that that shows all the X's and O's, but it doesn't show the, uh, the effort or the intention that went into all of those things. So that's the next level is digging in like, Hey, how's your headspace on this stuff? That's everything. That's for me. That's well, you need a good coach to give you numbers, to give you the math, right? Like we need a plan to follow. And the reason why I created conscious champion, which was an online course that I did. And I started in 2019, 2020, and it was an online space for competitors where I would basically teach them how to compete consciously, develop a strong, positive mindset, develop a spiritual connection to themselves and be a better human. You know, and uh, so there was all of that stuff too, which I thought was a really great compliment to a really great coach who doesn't have a lot of compassion because a lot of like female competitors are like, he didn't even respond to my email. Like he doesn't even care that I'm crying and breaking down. I'm like, yeah, and he shouldn't. He's giving you uh, like objective numbers that you need to follow. And it's, he's it's got a ton of different... <laughs> It's the data. And I think that's, but that is also what makes a good coach, because if you were making emotional decisions about carbs and cardio, then it wouldn't be to me, the good, the math that you need to get where you need to go. So I think that there's a beautiful pairing between good math, good formula, good data without emotion and somebody who can listen to the crying and listen to the compassion and walk you through different things like that. So that's where conscious champion came in and it was so fun to do. And what, what, tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Was that like, was that a, like a, uh, uh, an online course with an enrollment thing or was it a self-guided thing? Yeah, it was a 12 week online course with enrollment. So we would start at a certain date end at a certain date, we'd go for 12 weeks. I'd have different guest speakers come on and talk about steroids and gut health and Reiki and chakras and all these different things. So think of it like a mind, body, spirit course for bodybuilding. Cause for me, when I was competing, I didn't know much about gut health. Um, I was getting my master's in exercise physiology. So I knew about hormones. I knew about nutrition, but, but there was other stuff I didn't, I was sort of blind to, or just to get other prep coaches on and ask them different questions to see. Um, I had posing coaches come on different people who made suits. So like, what is a good color for your skin? tone how do we prepare for our tan so things that you know i think make all the difference in competing versus just the grind you know that that's that what suit color for your skin tone thing i have clients ask me that all the time and i'm like you realize you're asking a guy for fashion advice here it's like you're barking up the wrong tree absolutely so is is that course does that still happen periodically i'm i'm asking for a friend (laughs) i mean it's it's one of those things like that that is exactly like that would fill in a lot of the gaps for me because i do feel like that that mindset thing is one thing that i absolutely work on with my clients but I, i wouldn't say it's something that i specialize in i'm certainly a data guy first but i know how important that is so i don't neglect it 
Yeah. And as you, as you should be a data guy first, right? You're coaching yeah. to get the body on stage scientifically to do what it needs to do when it needs to do it. Um, and so I took a little hiatus from it because there's a certain grind to building a business online and it's yes, just is. freaking like bodybuilding. <laughs> you got to post, that's your cardio. You got to do enrollments. You have to do, I was like, man, building a business is just like building your body. It is so crazy. The similarities I built or I, I, you know, could draw. So I took a little hiatus from it. Um, I, it may come back again. I kind of, now that I'm talking about it, I actually miss it. Uh, and we meet every week and I did a, a retreat in 2021 and we had a wonderful time. And it was a lot of people who were in conscious champion or my mastermind. And I just think, I think it's needed. I think there's a little bit of light and compassion that's needed in the bodybuilding world. And even when people are ready to quit, that's a, sometimes it, it takes a year or two or a couple more shows to actually admit, okay, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel or something really drastic to happen where somebody's hormones are super messed up and they're in the doctor's office now, instead of talking to their coach because they pushed too hard and because they didn't listen when their body was tired. So I think it'd be good for them to have somebody to talk to about all of the other things, you know? Yeah. The scary thing is when you get somebody who's in the doctor's office uh, uh, with uh, evidence that they've pushed too hard or done something that's a little too excessive, and then they don't change what they're doing. They're just like, eh, okay, well, at least now I know. Now let's let's get back to it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a crazy thing too, is like, there's almost this addictive quality to it or this self-harming you know, thing, which I also understand because I was there too. I have like the, I have the addict gene for sure. Um, and I have to watch it. So I know when people come to me and they say like, I can't stop. Um, it's, it's really hard to be successful in bodybuilding if you don't have some level of an addictive personality. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I want to talk about some present day stuff that you're doing okay. here, but one more thing first, yeah. what about your typical day-to-day -day bodybuilding routine grind do you still maintain today? I'm afraid to answer that. <laughs> That's how I know it's a good question. None of it. <laughs> do you have a gym membership? <laughs> yeah, it's a plan of fitness and I don't even go. I don't even remember the last time I've been to the gym. Oh my God, I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed to answer that, but I full, full transparency here. This is a judgment free zone, much like planet fitness. So good. Okay. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it feels kind of good because, but I do feel myself wanting to lift weights. Like I work at a yoga studio and like, if I'm teaching a lot of classes, I see my shoulders start to pop out and my little veins start to pop out again. And I'm like, God, my body just wants to build muscle. <laughs> just built for it. And I'm being such an asshole by not going in. And, but I feel um, like I don't have a ton of aches and pains anymore. I'm at a pretty good point where I'm not overly like heavy and hungry and bloated all the time from eating. Because you know, when you work out a lot, you're hungry a lot. So I'm, I'm sort of at this really nice, happy medium, but I, yeah, I don't, I, I like went to the gym, I think for like a month, maybe, maybe eight maybe eight, nine months ago. That was like my longest stint. And it felt, 
kind of good to be on the stepper and kind of good to have like a shoulder day again. Um, but the fire for the gym has totally fizzled out and it doesn't even look or feel the same. Yeah. I'd like to have a little bit of muscle back in my body just cause I know my body likes it that way. Um, but it's very hard for me to stay consistent. And I have tried for seven years since well, I quit. I spent seven years. My God. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's kind of that hot and cold light switch. You know, it's like you're a hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's hard to just dial it back a little bit. It, it's almost like aversion therapy at this point. It is. Yeah. Going in is sometimes difficult for me to yeah. see people competing. I like see them. I feel for them. I do. I want to be them. It's like very confusing actually. Yeah. I imagine. Do you feel like there, do you, do you feel like there's any kind of, uh, I, this isn't the right word, but I'll use it anyway. PTSD, like, <laughs> like, okay, I was there before, like, uh Oh, are, are you worried that maybe you might get some of that fire back and you don't want to be a hundred percent committed to that again? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of both. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. PTSD is an interesting way to say it. Cause I used to say that like, right after I quit, I would go to the gym and see people on the stepper and I would cry. It would make me so emotional. Cause I'm like, there's a part of me still on that very stepper that she's on right now. Do I want to be there? But it doesn't feel good. And like, you kind of um, see the ghost of yourself on that stepper too, probably. Oh, that just makes me want to cry right now. Even. <laughs> yeah. It's like the ghost of little monster in the gym. And it's really hard for me to be there if she's there. And so yeah. I don't know what that looks like yet. Um, and even picking up a weight, even in my basement, we have a couple, a little bit of weights, a spin bike and like some gym floor or something. And even that, like doing chest press, I feel her there. And it's, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that yet. Hmm. You know, you, you did mention one thing you said, you, uh, you don't feel so banged up now. So in your competitive heyday, do you feel like, you know, like just the physical side of things, like, was it really taking a toll? Like you were feeling, was it just like, Oh, I feel creaky. I probably feel five or 10 years older than I should. Or were there like more significant injuries and things that you were battling against? Um, you know what? Luckily I never had any big injuries. I had a little shoulder twinge and I still kind of like, actually, if I touch it, I can still kind of feel it there, but I never pulled a bicep or a quad or a, yeah. Right. Like, I feel like it's like, Same. <laughs> it's almost like carrying around a gallon jug. You're like, Oh yeah. Right. Where your bicep attaches right there. Yeah. Um, so there was that, but it was, uh, I think it was the constant work but it felt good. It, and maybe that's that little bit of addictive thing there. It was like the pain kind of felt good. And it was over time, it was getting close to a show, you know, your body kind of starts to feel. And then I, I remember my first yoga class in the gym, trying to get down into a deep, deep, like yogi squat. Now I can get way down there. But before I was like, Oh, my God, my glutes are so tight. And then twisting to try to pose even everything was like, I was such a muscle that I couldn't even move. And I think that's what was causing the connective tissue to pull and to feel so off. Definitely. And I was also body work done, which wasn't really that great. Like cup, I mean, cupping, it feels good a couple of days later, but during it's like a torture chamber. Yeah. It's like additional acute stress on the body. Yes. And I, that's a great word to say. I think acute stress is a good way to put it because you're, you know, you're training sometimes two times a day, cardio, sometimes two times a day, body work cooking, you know, you're on your feet, you're cooking, you're doing a bunch of stuff. So it's, I think it's a cute little micro stress and trauma consistently. And then when you're resting, 
you're beating yourself up for it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to take a, and then when you're in your off season, you're a little fat, you're beating yourself up for it. So it's like constant. You're either physically beating yourself up or mentally beating yourself up or sometimes both. Yeah. 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 Even when we, we need to be great. nicer to ourselves. Yeah, we do. And need to appreciate where we are, even when we have a little bit of a booty and we're not two weeks out. And even when we are two weeks out, we're still like, I'm not big enough. I'm not hard enough. I'm not blah, blah, blah enough. There's this whole thing. And yeah, that's what I, I wanted to kind of try to flip and conscious champion was doesn't always have to be like that. I like that. And, you know, I work with, with a lot of clients who, uh, you know, at six, four to one week out, um, they're always like, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. And the thing is, what I tell them is you could win this show and afterwards you still won't see it. Like that, that is, you know, your, your self judgmental goggles that you don't have the ability to take off. Yes. Yes. And it takes a while to take off those. I'll tell you when I, something that helped me take off the self-judgment was again, another mushroom ceremony I did. And it was probably, I don't know, uh, maybe eight months after I was competing, hadn't worked out. My body's getting smaller. I haven't seen myself without muscle in literally 12 years um, <laughs> since I was 14 in high school doing weightlifting is when, <laughs> you know, the little monster was kind of born. And I, you know, I hadn't worked out. So my arms were kind of getting a little skinny. I was like, wow, I can fit my arm around my whole thing. And I, I, I was running outside and I took some mushrooms and I like covered my arms like this. And I looked down at my hand and my, my wrist. And I was like, oh my God, it's so cute. And I was like, <laughs> I just, it's like, it sounds really silly, but for the first time I wasn't like, where are my veins? Oh my gosh, my forearms are getting tiny. I was just like, this is my arm. And I'm really happy with it. It's always and been attached to me. It's always been a part of me. It's still the same. It's still me and it's me. And it doesn't, It and that was when I could wear tank tops without shoulder caps. After that, I started to look at my body like much differently. And it didn't need to be this whole muscle bound tight thing anymore. It could just be whatever it was. And, you know, even now I still have a little bit of stuff in a bathing suit. Like I'd like to have a little bit of, of a six pack going on. I'd like to be, I don't like to be looser like that, you know, that still makes me uncomfortable. And maybe it, maybe that's still residual body dysmorphia from bodybuilding or standards that I hold myself. To. I don't know where I stand with that now. Um, but yeah, that was the beginning of the judgment sort of releasing was the, another mushroom ceremony. <laughs> nice. Nice. So let's, let's skip ahead to, um, present day. Well, actually, I, this this might be a nice little segue into that. In your competitive days, um, what were uh, what was your day job? Competing. <laughs> when I got really <laughs> good, yeah, it was that. I I was um, with Ian, who's now my husband, and he had a pretty good job, so he was able to support sort of the family. And then I got signed with Primeval, I think, in like two thousand. 15 or 14 or something there. And I was getting like a couple thousand a month, like 2000, which was enough for food and enough for me to buy whatever I needed to buy. And so that, and before that though, I was a full-time college student getting my master's in 2014, like that prior to that year. And I was working at a restaurant full-time serving. Um, and I was sort of personal training people here and there. Cause everybody wanted to know, how do you eat? How do you train? What are you doing? So there, there was all kinds of things going on before I was able to just compete. Um, 
and even then, then the sponsorship thing came in and that, you know, I don't want to talk bad about the sponsors. I'm just not a good sponsored athlete. I don't <laughs> like to be, cause they were great. Like they gave me fun funding. They gave me protein. I, I would also say like, they, they would probably disagree. They probably thought you were a great sponsored athlete because it's all about, you know, brand awareness and, you know, association with somebody who's successful. Um, so maybe you just didn't enjoy the responsibilities of it. Is that fair? Yeah, the responsibilities and sort of the like, hey, post this 20% off coupon here. Hey, we're going to control your social media. You can't wear anybody else's stuff. And it was sort of like that. And it became about money for me. And I started competing to be Miss Olympia. I never started competing to be on the cover of a magazine, to be a sponsored athlete, to be anything. So when those things started to come to me, I needed money to compete. I wasn't in school. I wasn't waiting tables anymore. Kind of a means to an end kind of a means to an end. And then it was controlling the connection I had to my tribe, social media. And I, at first there was the honeymoon phase. And then I was like, man, I really, I really don't want to post. I'm exhausted. Like I'm so tired from competing. And now you want me to drive to Miami three hours away to train and drive three hours home when I'm a couple of weeks out from the Olympia. And it, there was almost like no compassion for the competitor and how I just wanted to be like super sweaty, ugly, left alone, not on camera, not just like in my prep. And I couldn't be, it was like, okay, you got to get ready. You got to get all dolled up. You have to your, be on your, your whole life as a photo shoot or video shoot. And that was, that was exhausting. And yeah. 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 I mean, I, I can totally relate. I mean, this is not, uh, this is not easy to maintain here. So, you know, so, beautiful. <laughs> so I was curious about what you were doing before, because I was kind of wondering like with what you're doing now was the genesis of that already in place, but talk a little bit about like, what is the business of Danny Reardon now? Now, well, it was the conscious champion space and it still is. I'm just, I need a little bit of a break. I had to go through some of my own processes before I could get back online. This happens to me every now and again, I like go really hard online for two years or so do great stuff. And then I'm like, all right, I need to be a hermit. Bye. And that maybe that's the cancer in me. It, it's good to allow yourself that kind of a reset. I think that's great. Yeah. Cause then I come back with this new energy, this new vibration, and I'm ready to to share all the different things I've been through mm -hmm. um, and ready to teach new things. So right now I am focused on teaching yoga, which is going amazing and doing my sound healing work. So I have a ton of instruments all around here. I play a native flute, the bowls, a harmonium. I got a looper station. And so I'm really excited about sound. I saw in an Instagram post, the looper station, and uh, as a, uh, I don't know if you can really, hold on. Is that coming through there? <laughs> that's, that's, that's about half of them. The other half are under a uh, drop cloth um, back behind this wall. Um, so I'm, I'm a pretty terrible guitarist. I'm much, much more of a piano player, um, but I, I like to collect left-handed guitars if nothing else. Um, but I've always been fascinated by anybody who can use a looper station, um, especially like under a live setting and just do it masterfully. And I've seen some of those people and it's so impressive. And it's like, that's a level of coordination that I don't think I'm really ready to practice for. So much respect to you for that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And though there's gonna, there's a whole, you know, when I see people who are really good at looping for me, that's the Olympia. Now I'm like, okay, 
I see. Cause I, like we said, I like the climb. It's, it's when I'm good at something right away, it gives me hope, but I need something to shoot for. I need to know that I have the genetics and the work ethic and then give me eight years and I will be where I need to be. So with music, I have something there where I can play and pray you know, sharing it with my sound healing stuff. And now I can add in the electronic element with a little bit of an echo and build the beat and build the thing and create a whole soundscape. Um, so for me, that is what I spend my free to every second of my free time doing is I jump up here and I sit with something, um, with sound and I go to the nursing home and do it. I have my first one at my yoga studio coming up. I know the nursing nice. home. Um, and I'm here in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. My grandma's here. My dad's here and I clean. Okay. I love cleaning. And I, part of like, I feel like my parents and my husband don't like when I tell people that I love to clean, like I'm a cleaning lady. Um, <laughs> but I do it at this beach house. It's my third year in a row. I've been doing it for the summers and it is my meditation. It's like my spiritual work. And I listen to my teachers in my, in my earphones about sound or about Ram, you know, Ram Das or spirituality or something. That's who I'm with for five hours only. And I'm with this house who has become my friend and I clean it. I bring flowers. I make it beautiful. And it is my time where I don't have to teach anybody anything. I don't have to be on a call. I don't have to be, I can be with just me and learning so for me, it's become sort of my spiritual path to clean. I think that's awesome. I mean, I think that's like, it's on the same level as being a dog walker or something like that. It's like, you know, it's, it's work. It's, it's something that is also simultaneously therapeutic. Um, yes. And I think, I think that's awesome. Like we, we were talking about before we started recording here about the renovation work that I'm doing back behind me with the fancy drywall here um, and how, I can do that as well. Like I, I don't listen to anything. Like I just, I mean, the sound of power tools is kind of therapeutic to me, but I can just let it all go, get the tape measure, measure things, write down numbers, let my brain work in a slightly different way. And it's relaxing. And my wife was like, how are you doing this? Like you went to the gym earlier and now you're doing this. Aren't you exhausted? I'm like, I'm physically exhausted. Yeah. But it's, it's mentally restorative. Yeah. And when I hear you talk about that, it's like presence. It's like when you train, right? It's like presence. Cause you have to measure correctly. You have to be hammering correctly. You have to be there in the moment or else you're going to put a hole in the wall or cut something <laughs> or cut yourself. So you have to be in the moment. And I think when we're so presently focused, like when we're training, if you're training well, um, everything else falls away. And that is the meditation. That's the purpose of it is that. And so that's what I find cleaning and with sound and with teaching and something else I also do was because I stopped conscious champion and that was sort of how I was making money. I started working at a restaurant hmm. and I, I th it's really fun. It's really active. And I was so nervous because I'm like, man, I'm back here serving, like waiting tables. I thought I was done with this in college. Like, I can't believe I'm 33 at a restaurant. Um, and some of the people that work at my yoga studio work there. And I have, I am so pleasantly surprised at how much I love it. Like you come in and you hustle and you work and you meet people and it's a social hour and it's a really great environment where I do work and it's really good money. And so from, and, and I shut my brain off. I don't have to be preparing a yoga class. Like I don't have to be super creative. I just have to meet people and the way I've. And know the menu. 
<laughs> which is hard for me. It's like, uh, and I'm, and I'm, I don't eat anything because I'm vegan. So I don't even, I'm like, I'm like, how do you want your steak? Are you sure you want steak? <laughs> <laughs> or they say like, Hey, which of these steaks is your favorite? Always. And I don't like seafood either. So, and I'm, I'm up here on Cape Cod. So it's like, oh. we're like, what do you eat? And I'm like the bread, like, <laughs> um, so, or fr oh, I love fries. They have good fries there too. So I just say, well, this is a fan favorite or something like that. But the fan way that favorite, I made, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I kind of like divert the, you know, a little bit of that sales training in there. Yeah. Uh, well, it's fun. You said Cape Cod. I did not know. How long have you been up there? Uh, since 2020, like uh, July, 2020 ish. Okay. All right. We took a trip, um, this last fall, we flew into Boston and, uh, uh, Pre-Halloween, we wanted to hang around Salem, Massachusetts, which was a little bit of a disaster, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, we were there mid-month, so I know it got crazier after that. And then we uh, we hung around in some places that were close to the bay and then went up and stayed outside of Portland, Maine for a little bit. Um, but the other thing is, like, I can't do seafood. Uh, my wife loves it. So I just bit the bullet and I'm like, all right. Cool. So I had so many lousy burgers on that trip because you're in a seafood place. They don't know how to cook a burger. And one place even said like this guy at the grill, he doesn't really know how to do a burger. And <laughs> it came and it's like, yeah, he really doesn't. And I told, I told the server, I'm like, you weren't kidding. That was <laughs> like, it's fine. But man, you were right. That guy does not know what he's doing. <laughs> It my was, goodness yeah. it was, it was just like how do you serve this to people but um yeah if you're if you're a fan of seafood that's the place to be so i feel your pain in that i can't do it yeah i go for i go i get a lot of smoothies when i'm out <laughs> and coffee um and then i make a stuff at home which is good too you know uh, or the fries sometimes i'll sneak a cookie i mean yeah let's be real let's be real it's we're, so we're putting it out there warts and all we can't start can't start lying about food no, no, no. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to say something about people out there who are serving and waiting tables, a way that I've been able to shift that into a spiritual practice also is, um, you know, everything is the universe and everything's connected. So for me, I'm the universe serving the universe, the people at the table, the universe, which is food. So even something like serving can be so sacred. And when I greet people at their table, or if I do an event and like it's a baby shower or something, I greet them with that energy and I watch their whole body language soften. Their eyes soften, their shoulders drop. They want to know my name. They want to know how long I've been here. They want, they're taking selfies with me. And they're like, why does everybody love you so much? I'm like, cause I'm out here meeting God. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, if you bring that kind of an energy to it though, because in a setting like that, especially it's not expected, you're, you're expecting to see somebody who is doing a job and, uh, can like, you know, fake it and turn on the charm for a little bit. But if you meet like a genuine soul and someone whose personality just comes through in every little bit of their, their interactions with you, like that can be shocking for some people because it's so unexpected, I think. Yeah. And it's interesting to watch the shock too, instead of they're like, Hey, can I get a vodka soda? Um, and then they make eye contact with me and they're like, what's your name? It's like, I, I, within a, a, a word, I can feel it shift. And all I have to do is wait. Do you feel like that's kind of a superpower in some ways? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a practice. And I think if I greet people with that, then they can find that feeling in themselves. 
And I think that is um, a really beautiful thing. And, and that can be done, not just serving, but grocery shopping, teaching yoga, the person at the gas station, like you can any, take that everywhere. Any interaction at all. Even with dogs and animals. I notice it with kids, babies, and animals. Hmm. Um, dogs just want to be, I just got back from Peru, uh, like less than a month ago and all the dogs there came right up to me. They sat with me. They wanted to be with me. It was just so, and like the little kids in the shops that we went into, I had random bracelets in my fanny pack and I would give it to them. And I got the biggest little hugs and without knowing how to speak English, they were right there with me. Cause I was there with them. And so I think it works even with plants. I don't think there's any separation between where you can take that presence. Interesting. And you said it's a practice. So if somebody wanted to explore that practice, how would you, what would you recommend that they start doing? Mm. It's well, that's such a good question. It's a perspective switch first and foremost. And that is the practice because it's easy to see the universe in a little baby and they're looking at you with their big bright eyes. It's <laughs> easy to see that there what about the guy who cuts you off who's giving you the finger right now that is also the universe and so when i say it's a practice it's finding it in in the good moments in the magic moments and everything in between when you're stopped at a traffic light and you want to be somewhere fast but look out your window what is the sun doing how are the birds flying what does the grass look like are the flowers blooming you know there's so many different ways so i think it's a a switch of perspective and it goes from being you and me to we, we're, we're one. And so when I look at you, I see a mirror of myself. And um, for me, it was like namaste when I started to really learn what namaste means. The light in me sees and honors the light in you. And so it became a game. How am I going to get to see the light in this person? How am I going to get to see the universe express itself through this person's energy? And that became the game for me was that. And then I started to fall in love with everybody, even if they were having a bad, especially if they were having a bad day. I'm like, oh, come here. They, like, probably, I can't they probably need it the most. Right. And that's something too, is, is sometimes the people that are the hardest to love need it the most. And I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind because there's a lot of people who are really short, who have a short fuse, who who are cutting you off, who are having a bad day, who are going through something. So I think it's also a practice of compassion and not needing to be right, but needing to be kind. That's a hard thing for a lot of people to do. I know. I'd put myself in that category as well. Needing to be right all the yeah, time? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Needing to be Mr. Know-it-all. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I do too. It seems like a lot of what you're also describing here is just um, finding my, my wife harps on me about this in the most loving way possible, um, finding the ways in which you distract yourself on a routine basis and slowly eliminating those or reducing them to increase how present you are in a specific moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <clears throat> presence. And that's the practice is presence. And that's what meditation is is a practice for the present moment. It's not to be a good meditator. It's to be here now, right? It's like, for me, my athlete brain wants to go, how can I be the best med meditator on Cape Cod? It's like, nobody cares that you're meditating. Why stop at Cape Cod? Why not the whole Northeast? Oh, that's next. That's like the pro level, right? So it's like, for me, yeah. So what you're saying is there's no Miss Olympia for meditation. 
No, it's just <laughs> the way that you treat people. I've, cause I've looked for it. I've done 120 days in a row with no stopping. And then my app broke. Okay. And I lost all of my numbers and I was like, wow. Talk about practicing non-attachment. <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud of that 120. I was like, look at me. Cause it keeps track of consecutive days. It and seems like I the kind of thing that a meditation app probably shouldn't do. Right. <laughs> Especially for people probably like us who love to see that progress. Exactly. Exactly. Or maybe it breaks on purpose. It's like once you get to 150, it's gone, baby. It's, it's teaching you a lesson. That's right. That's right. So that's, do, yeah. do you do any kind of like um, individual coaching with anybody or is it really just more focusing on your own practice and finding ways to share that with, as you put it, your tribe? Yeah, I do individual coaching sometimes like mentorship and um, really it's just conversations and like, what's going on? What did you have a hard time with? And sometimes nutrition find its way in there and sometimes fitness does too. Cause I don't, you know, mind, body, spirit for me is, is everything, but I also hard, have a perspective. Hard, hard to turn that stuff off completely. Right. The knowledge is it, up there. It's up there. And I don't, I don't realize how much I know until I start talking about her until somebody asked me something. I'm like, Oh my God, that's right. I did go to school for all this. <laughs> so it's fun. Um, but I like the conversations, the, uh, you know, the one-on-one, -on -one, like what's going on, let's dig in there kind of thing. So right now I've been more focused. Like I said, I just got back from Peru. Um, so kind of stuff like that and doing my own journeys with plant medicine has been a big deal for me. And when I'm sort of in the throes of that, it's, um, I just want to be a hermit and I don't have a ton to share because I'm in it and I'm really in it doing the work and like dying. Like there's parts of me that have to die off. And I did, um, ayahuasca in October. And since October, I've been in this phase of like really watching myself be in my head, overthinking, over apologizing, over preparing, hard to make decisions, like, and watching these little, almost like stuff I'm ashamed of. And I'm like, come on, haven't you been working on this? Like, didn't we practice this, but it's really been coming off so that it could fall away. And when I'm in those phases, it's hard for me to be, um, totally sharing or totally present with people for coaching because I'm so in it myself that I wouldn't be doing them a service. So right. I like, I go in and out of the, okay, I'm here to be an extrovert. I'm here to share everything. And then I go, okay, it's time for me to heal. Yeah. I think, I think maybe using different language, I think most people would have those days as well. Like there's days when I can do anything. And then there's days where it's like, I can't go into the office today. I just can't. And it's not just because, Oh, my bed feels so good, but it's like, no, my brain is just not compatible with interacting with people today, or at least not being productive with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. You're even getting ready for a show. Yeah. Some months it is not your month and you need to pull back for eight weeks and go within and then figure it out when, so it's like, even with that, some, you'll have a great year where you can't wait to be on stage and everything is rolling. And then the next year it just doesn't click right. And I think it, you know, that in and out the yin and the yang is how we find balance in pushing through getting on stage when you need to be internal is when the damage happens. Cause your body's saying, Hey, we need to recalibrate and we need to reset everything. Uh, so yeah. You said you were dealing with a lot of stuff that kept coming up and coming back. I think you said since October. Um, do you think that that's kind of like a natural cyclical thing that kind of has to happen? Um, 
uh, there's some kind of a, a metaphor or analogy in nature that isn't coming to me right now. Um, but uh, you, you get what I'm saying. Is that, or is that, was there something happened that caused that to come back, or is it is it a little bit more natural? I think it's natural. I think it cycles. We definitely we're cyclic humans. You know, we go through things just like the seasons. It's natural for us to hibernate, and it's natural for us to be really productive summertime. Um, so I think that it's it's natural to have moments of reflection and moments of moments of expansion. But for me, what kicked it off was probably the ayahuasca that I did. Because um, after you do that, you know, the ceremony begins after the ceremony because now your energy is different. Now you know things you didn't know. And sometimes you can't do stuff that's no longer in total alignment. And that creates a whole cascade of your physical life now recalibrating to your vibrational life. And that can be very messy. Um, and it takes time to integrate versus going to ceremony after ceremony after ceremony, you're not giving yourself or your lifetime to recalibrate around you. So I think it's, I think it was time for me the year before that I had done a conscious champion, a mastermind, which was five months long. I launched a retreat. My first retreat did it all by myself and did conscious kids, um, which is when I taught kids about the earth and the elements and like all this different stuff. So I launched three huge programs and did a retreat and a married people. Oh my goodness. It was like <laughs> the most exterior I had ever been and like officiated two weddings for my friends. So it was, I was on a plane like every month. Uh, and then October came and I was like, what? Like I need to be inside cause I'm not okay. Well, in October is kind of the start of hibernation period up in Cape Cod anyway. So it kind of worked out well there. If I listen, if I do what I, if I do what nature's doing, then it works out really well. Yeah. Yeah. So before we started this, was there one thing, this is how I, I grow as an interviewer a little bit. Was there one thing where we are like, okay, I hope he asks me about this, or we need to talk about this or whatever that we haven't covered yet. Um, like if you yeah. want to, if you want to plug your new, uh, you know, uh, metalcore album that's coming out or anything like that, or. Oh, um, <laughs> I was going to ask actually the, the music that you do, do you record any of that and, and publish it online anywhere? I haven't yet. I, I just got the looper about a month ago, <clears throat> maybe less than a month ago. And so I don't even know how to hook it to my computer yet. I've just been like getting timing down and seeing what instruments go with what and what, how I can layer it. So I've been really in an experimental phase and just playing, but that's, I would love it's the best. It's the best. I, yeah. And so I'd love to release stuff on Spotify, uh, eventually. And what I think about that is I'd love to do not necessarily like a song that I could recreate over and over, but like an intuitive track where whatever happens in that seven minutes, that's, what's going to get released. And, um, and just kind of have that be a one-time thing. And if people come watch me play, so what, so now I'm already seeing myself on stage. This is how my brain works. So I'm like, if people come, thousands of people come to watch me play one day, I'm just going to play. And they know that they're going to get some sort of soundscape or some sort of, you know, two hour set or whatever it is, but it's going to be different for the most part every time. Yeah. So that, that there is a market for stuff like that online, because that's the kind of stuff that my, my wife is a teacher and she plays that kind of stuff in her classroom to calm the kids down. 
So she teaches art. And so when it's art time, she'll, she'll put on, you know, chill music, dim the lights a little bit. And so it's, it's really more of that, like almost improvisational, ethereal, very, you know, um, uh, designed to kind of suck the energy down in the room a little bit and help the kids just kind of, you know, find a little bit more peace. What grade does she teach? Pre-K through fifth grade. So like okay. ages four through 10. So I guess one thing that we didn't talk about was I've recently been applying to work at schools. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I'm serving and cleaning and teaching yoga. Like I do, I do so much and I'm calling in, I need more abundance and I need simplicity. You do um, so much. And I would say if this is like a five pointed star, like it's a pretty big star. Like these are all very disparate kind of things. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot, you know, to, um, it's, it's a lot. And I show up 150% no matter what I do. So it's hard for me to half-ass cleaning or, or half-ass a yoga class. Like I just don't operate that way. Is it hard to shift gears if you have to do that rapidly? Um, I don't know. No, um, maybe with yoga, it's such a ceremony for me that I like to have nothing before or after it. So when I teach yoga, I try to be very prepared. Like my classes are an experience. I bring in my own instruments. I have smells going. I have sound. It's a good workout, you know? So cool. for, I like so proud of my yoga classes, but that, you know, you get the 40 bucks a class and all the preparation I put in, I, I can't, and I don't want to make that my main source of income because it would lose its luster. Um, so I've been like, okay, what else could I do? That's really fulfilling to me that I could enjoy. And so I work with a bunch of teachers and it's so crazy that you just mentioned that your wife is a teacher. So this is how the universe works for me <laughs> at my yoga studio. A bunch of teachers come to my classes at the restaurant. There's a bunch of teachers that work there during the summer. We just got done with that. And, um, I, I was going to clean for this one lady who's a full-time Spanish teacher. So the teachers everywhere. So I'm like, all right, universe, I hear you. And so I start applying and the ones that I have called me back have been elementary school, second grade. They need a long-term sub and a middle school guidance counselor, which uh, for also for a long-term sub position. So until, and so I could potentially do this till about January and really try out the two different grades, the two different areas to see where and if I like this. And so that's kind of my excitement. I'm in the middle of the process now, HR, I need to get fingerprinted. I need to, they need to do the background check, all of that. But um, that would be kind of cool. Cause like I said, kids respond to me well. And when I taught my course conscious kids, we meditated, I brought in my sound, like we did really cool stuff. Uh, so I don't know, I, maybe there's something there, maybe, maybe not. I'm kind of just trusting. And if the universe, you know, doesn't want me to do that, then I'm going to do it, do my sound stuff a thousand percent. I mean, that's the thing. There's nothing to be lost from dipping your toe in the water and finding out and trying. And if it really doesn't work out, okay, well you spend a couple months doing that and then you learn that and then move on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other phase I'm in right now is, is that. Hmm. Well, just, uh, so I am, I am one who is not good with kids. Like I, I struggle with like communicating to them like humans. Like it's just, I don't have kids, um, dogs. I'm great with no problems yeah. there, but kids I struggle with. And so this comes just directly from my wife between uh, elementary school and middle school. She says hormones, hormones.
Um, it's a big, big shocking difference. She said the, the experience between being in a school that goes up through fifth grade and then like six through eighth, she's like, the difference could not be more pronounced. <laughs> I have heard that also about <laughs> that. And like the little ones, they're so cute. They don't have their attitude yet. Like they still want to just be good little kids, but then in middle school, they kind of start to get there, you know, that the hormones happen and the comparison and the ego kind of starts to show up too, I think. From what I gather around fourth grade is when attitudes can start to show up, but they're still at that age where they can be more influenced by adults. And then in middle school, I think they tend to be a little bit more of a, they have a little bit more of an independent streak. This is all secondhand information. So don't take that to the bank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, there's something about, see, second grade, like the, the younger ones, I do think that there's a different level of communication too, because middle schoolers, they're like 10 or 11. You can kind of start to have adult conversations with them, like as far as like a real line of communication where the little ones, you really have to walk through, this is why you did this and this is why it's bad. But for me, I like the, what is going on at home? are you okay? How can we turn this positive? Like, or I'm, I'm overweight. I'm comparing myself to these girls who are blah, 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 or I'm on TikTok and I'm seeing all these things. I think that's where I could really help. That's huge. Like I, I almost feel like there needs to be a permanent position in most schools where it's, it's something like a, a social media triage counselor or something like that. Um, because just a regular guidance counselor is going to be overworked and overmatched for, the level of complexity that can come in with that stuff. Yeah, that's, um, that's, and I asked the principal when I interviewed with him, I said, what's your biggest problem in the school? And I kind of thought he was going to say bullying, but he said social media. And I understand that I could see why that's a huge thing. And for me, the social media is like, it's like the force. It can be used for good. You can follow spiritual people. You can follow Oprah. You can follow great, beautiful memes that are preaching good stuff or, you can follow some really graphic, terrible things that stick with you that create depression or anxiety or comparison or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think it's a force that can be directed for good or evil, light side, dark side kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's getting the kids to want to follow the good stuff. If they're going to do it, if they're going to use it, at least use it for good. Give them a reason to like motivate them to. Yeah. Yeah. And show, yeah. So yeah. So maybe me getting in there to be a, a little substitute guidance counselor for 12 weeks, maybe I can say, Hey, do you guys want to open up like a wellness position where people can come to me and I can play my sounds and we can meditate and we can talk about social media and do other things that aren't just guidance counselor in the box rules. So I don't know. I'm, I like I'm, that. Yeah, maybe we'll see. Yeah. Well, good, good luck with that. Good luck. I, I'm very curious to, to know how that plays out. So, uh, cause it, it's, it's a big, uh, it's another big lateral step. It seems like you're kind of the, uh, the master of lateral steps. Like we're here, we're going to shift over here. We're going to shift back over here a little further that direction. And just, you know, you you don't, um, you're not one to keep yourself painted into a certain bounding box or anything like that. Like you're comfortable just going with, you know, wherever the flow takes you, which is cool and admirable. And I think we could all, you know, do a bit to kind of, you know, bring a little bit of that into our own day to day. Thank you. I appreciate it. How can people find you online? Oh, so, so, uh, Instagram, Danny dot Reardon and my 
website is dannyreardon.com. It just got finished. I have all my conscious champion stuff on there. It looks beautiful. Um, and then email me, like if you want to chat or, or like, if you feel like there's something that I can maybe help with or whatever, uh, Danny at dannyreardon.com. All and of it is very easy to remember. Yeah. And my podcast, I do have a podcast. Sorry. One more thing. Yeah. Um, and I took a little hiatus from this too, but it's on YouTube and Spotify and it's called talking each other home. And maybe I could have you on there when I get my act together <laughs> back online when I, my life slows down. <laughs> well, uh, listeners of this podcast know all about hiatuses. I, uh, I, I tend to take one most summers actually, um, just because I like recording in, uh, in solitude and my wife being a teacher off for the summer it's just it's a different energy when there's another body that you think is like is she listening to what i'm saying here and it just it, it kind of influences the way that i talk a little bit um but it, it's it's just a different energy so i typically hiatus through the summer anyway so i get it okay that makes me feel good because i'm on a <laughs> hiatus right now i think i reached like over 50 episodes the most recent ones were more me like coming into like what i actually want to talk about um like probably the last 20 or so. So now it's just a time. I, and that's why I'm calling for simplicity too in my life and not doing a million different things. So I can chat it. Cause I love to talk. I mean, we could literally be on here for hours and I could just keep going. So talking is no, and I love learning too. So um, podcast comes very easy to me. Nice. Nice. Well, this not, not to brag or one up or anything, but this has been episode 232. So I, I've been doing this since like 2016. So if you if you figure out and do the math, you're like, okay, he's good for about 30 a year or something like that, something more or less. But uh, yeah, the hiatuses, it's a very real thing. You know, a lot of podcasts just operate on a season basis where they'll put out like 10 or 15 episodes for a season and that, that's it. So no need to no need to feel bad. It's, it's not a, uh, there's no uh, Miss Olympia for podcasting either. See, it's so hard for me to break that mindset, even with talking to people. I'm like, where are you? Well, do you look at your podcast analytics like, oh, how many listens or downloads did I get this week? Okay, all right. And you just have to turn everything into a rat race. Yep. Yeah, I haven't even looked. I don't even know where to find my analytics. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I get them emailed to me once a week and I open it up. I'm like, that's disappointing. Archive. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Eventually, I'll open it up and I might be somewhat impressed by it. So that's the litmus test for me. But I don't put a whole lot of thought into it. I just keep doing my thing. I like doing it. And that's really what matters. That's that's the whole, that's the secret sauce. And I have a, I have a question for you about your guitar. Is there a place where you have any of your music or? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm uh, any place you stream music, um, Apple Music, Spotify, anything like that. Um this, this almost feels like a line that I fed you so that I could plug myself, but <laughs> no, I'm so curious as a new music student. So I have, um, if you look under just my name, Darren star, um, I released a solo album last year. It's a, um, 30 minute hard rock prog instrumental. Um, and it's split into eight movements, but it's intended to be listened to start to finish. It's all one actual song. It all runs together. So, and then um, my band is Sketch Eclectic, which is just me and my wife. Um, we're, uh, she's the singer. I play guitar and piano and we record the, the solo album I did here at home. 
um, all our sketch eclectic stuff, we uh, most of it we've done at a studio nearby and had session musicians like drummers and additional guitarists come in. And so we've got um, a full album out there and then we've put out like six or seven singles, including one that we just released last month and a video that we just put out uh, two weeks ago that I shot and edited here at home. So I know, right? <laughs> I'm so happy that I asked. I'm, oh, I'm so, so I have, I'll probably have, I don't know. I love to find teachers and mentors. So it feels like maybe we got connected so I could ask you questions about maybe podcasting or music one day. I was going to say, if you ever want to get any of your music recorded, I've got a full setup here. So, and it can, it can work remote. So um, I'll, uh, I'll send you a, a link um, for the song that we just put out because um, it's called The War Inside You. And it's about, you know, like fighting the demons in your own head. So, Ooh, yeah, my... exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, you might get a kick out of that. It's, I don't know, if you're, if you're a fan of, of rock or harder rock, at least, it's, you know, it's not like screaming metal or anything like that, but, you know. <laughs> My, wife, my wife's the singer and she she comes from like a musical theater background and she likes like jazz type stuff so there's a lot of that kind of influence in what she does so oh my god cool i can't wait thank, to listen like thank you for asking yeah as, as a musician there is no greater joy in life than somebody asking you about your music so <laughs> oh, i love that and i'm sure i could go on and on but seeing all the guitars my husband just started playing I don't know, maybe like a year and a half ago now. And so he's got an acoustic and an electric and he's got a couple songs that he can play. Um, recently, he's learning a Lincoln Park one. One of my favorites is Jurassic Park. Um, so yeah, we're just like kind of baby, little baby musicians over here figuring it out, but just loving to play with it. That's great. I mean, I would say as recently as 2020, like I've played piano since I was 14, but in terms of like, recording music i had no idea what i was doing in 2020 and i go back and listen to some of those recordings now i'm like that's pretty terrible and i listen to things that i put out now that are just demos i'm like i would be comfortable releasing that to, to the public like that sounds like a finished track to me so um if you if you put some time and effort and research into it then again there's no Mr. Olympia for recording music. It doesn't have to be a competition, but it's just like, what's the level of quality that I want to put into this? And what am I ultimately going to be happy with? Because it's something that's a part of you that you're sharing with the world. So it's a reflection of who you are and it stays out there. So you've got to be comfortable with that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool way to look at it. And even that's a spiritual practice. Like the creativity is like the universe flowing through you. And, you know, I don't write most of our lyrics. I, I, I write very few of them, but there are a couple of songs on the first album that I wrote and I didn't sing it, but you write them and somebody else sings it and you're like, wow, I just put a pretty significant piece of myself out there. Like it's, it feels very exposing. And you think about all the people who have written music and released it over the years and they've all gone through that same experience and opened themselves up like that. And once you do it yourself, you're like, that's really kind of profound. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait to listen. And I'd love to learn how to write. I like writing poetry and maybe it's similar to that. Sometimes I just get a creative hit and it just comes out. But um, yeah, just even learning now how to open up my voice and learning how to use it and explore it and like hear it. You know, it's like I've always been singing in the car at the top of my lungs. It's a full on concert in my car, by the way. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but now I can hear it without other music around. And it's been an interesting journey and um, yeah, like freeing and exciting and yeah, vulnerable. Yeah. Well, and as, as your, your husband's playing, one thing that you can really do is just sit there with a notebook while he's just playing whatever, just strumming stuff. And you can just kind of write what comes to mind based on what you're hearing there. And then this is what happens with us sometimes. My wife will go back and say, that thing that you were just playing, do that again. And like, that can be the start of a song. It could be that simple because she has a lyrical idea that goes with something musical that I was doing. It could be that simple. Wow. Yeah. What a cool way to connect your relationship through music. Through yeah. Sound. Yeah. Well, we, we met online and uh, she, she's not a gym going type at all. Um, but uh, so my, my profile, it was on eHarmony said, um, what was it? Personal trainer, bodybuilder, musician. She was like, strike one, strike two, home run. So, <laughs> so that, that was enough to make her think like, okay, I'll, I'll contact this guy. So oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Pretty funny. Pretty funny. More powerful than anything. They say that sound waves can uh, permeate all the different layers of our energy and our consciousness. So like not just, you know, the physical layer, which it does create harmony in ourselves, but into our energetic layer and even deeper mental layer, spiritual layer, like the sound waves travel permeate through everything. And yeah. I, I I, I think there's got to be some truth to that because, and I don't know if it's just sound waves or if it's the content of it, but like with music more so than any kind of visual medium or even a conversation with a person, like music gets a specific physical reaction from me when I hear it, when I hear something that really connects with me, like I can feel my body change. It's, it's kind of, it's pretty special. Isn't that amazing? That's why I'm so enamored by sound healing. And I don't like the word sound healing because then that conveys that I'm a healer and somebody needs to be healed. I don't like that. I'm not, I don't need to be that, but I, the power of sound is so interesting to me and the intention with which you play. So, because sound is a carrier wave of consciousness, sound, what, what was it? Frequency plus intention equals healing. So just like how, like your favorite song can increase, you know, you could have a great workout or you hear a song and it can make you sad. That's the vibration of it. Maybe it's the lyrics, maybe it's the way the person's playing, but either way it's vibration you're feeling. And so if we can direct the vibration to reharmonize the cells and to make people feel better, um, then I feel like there's something really beautiful. Maybe even the future of healing is in sound. I don't know. That is so cool. I love it. I love it. I need to do it. Do you have, like, is there anything that you would consider to be a, uh, a good, like starting point resource resource if somebody like me, um, wanted to dig in deeper on that? Do you know Gaia, the network, um, the, um, it's like a conscious network. It's called Gaia. It's like yeah. 12, nine months. Okay. So you've heard of it. Yeah. There is a series on there called sound of creation. And I think it's like, part series where they talk all about the different sound and how sound was used to create, you know, the word Ohm is the sound of creation, Christianity and the word in the beginning was the word and the word was God. So it's a sound that came out. So sound, it tells you about the history of it and how it's used in therapeutic ways. Um, how else could you learn? I mean, really, if you, if you just YouTube too, like what is sound healing or um, the healing powers of sound, like, like anything like that. 
but I think the Gaia thing might be a good way to start because it's put together in a nice documentary fashion and you get a couple different inputs from a couple different teachers. I love a good documentary. Me too. I prefer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is awesome. Danny Reardon, thank you so much for sharing a bit of yourself with us today. That was great. Thank you for having me and thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, um, maybe someday we'll have you back on here soon. Or if you want to flip the table uh, at some point, I can I can be a guest on yours. I'm certainly open to that as well. Okay, that would be amazing. I would love that. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody out there who took the time to stick with us. Absolutely. You guys are the real MVPs. Thank you all.